This is part one of a two-part series on the universal desires and fears. Do you know which of the six universal desires is your top two? Do you know which of the three universal fears is your number one? Understanding this, knowing how it's affecting you and how understanding it in others can change your life. Oh my goodness, I can't wait for you to hear. Let's talk about what intuition really is. Let's look at all the places intuition and ego show up in your life. Let's share honestly. Let's do the research. I'm Jamie Hayhurst. I'm Heather Wood. This This is the Intuitive Girl's Guide. Hey Jay, how do you feel about talking about the universal desires and the universal fears today? Uh, I think this is going to be a good one. (laughs) This might be my favorite thing to teach people. I know. This is really like your wheelhouse. You're so good at this. (laughs) I feel like I've said this before. Like I'll be like, oh, this is my favorite thing. I think I say that a lot. But I think that this might honestly be my favorite. <laughs> well, that's why we started a podcast, because we like talking about so many things. Right. It's a good lane for us, I guess. <laughs> okay. So the these desires and fears are also known as the human desires and the human fears. Mm-hmm. And there are six universal human desires and three universal human fears. And all of us feel all of them. But all of us have, in the case of the fears, one that's really driving our behavior. And in the case of the desires, two that are really driving our behavior. Right, exactly. So I love going through these. I love picking up in people what their desires and fears are. And I love teaching other people how to identify it in themselves because I really do think that's a game changer. But then also being able to pick it up in people around them and to sort of better connect and serve and lead them because they know how these people operate. Right. But you are so good at it now that you can determine these things within just like a couple sentences of a conversation. Yes. my I usually within 30 seconds of speaking to someone can pick up the three because right. people, people reveal them to you if you know yeah. what to listen for. So I think that, I think all of our listeners, if you pay attention, I think that you could do that as well. I don't think that that's just because I'm intuitive. I think it's, it's because I know this stuff. Right. And it's also like we talked about with the Claire's that you can start to determine what someone's Claire might be based on the language that they use. Yeah. And don't you feel like it's so overlooked? I I feel like intuition gets this sort of rap or like explanation or it's presented in this way where it's, it's just speaking to the dead or doing these, these like supernatural things. Or it's like something that is in the future. Like people want to use intuition for what's coming to them, not what's happening now. Exactly. So What I think the meat and potatoes of intuition is, is understanding people's feelings and the things that are driving them or steering their behavior. That to me is like really the basis of intuition and how you can actually use intuition in your life to help more than just like communicating with your ancestors or telling the future. Right. Exactly. This is like everyday practical use of intuition. Exactly. I even teach, you know, 
you know, the restoration coffee ads that we do. Well, I happen to be the COO of that company. Um, and I teach our managers this so that they can be better managers, so they can connect better with people. So it isn't just for, you know, super intuitive applications. It's for every day. And, and to be honest, I think intuition is more every day than we present it. Right, exactly, which is why we're here in this podcast. <laughs> it's a whole thing, baby. Exactly. All right. So I'm going to use the versions of these that are the Tony Robbins versions. Okay. Now, if you listened to last week's episode, you know my current feelings on Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah, there's been some problematic stuff with Tony that we can't ignore. No. Uh-uh. So I am for a long time have been a, a fan of Tony Robbins and a student of Tony Robbins right. over the last few years. Like I said last week, some of the things that he's chosen to do in ways he's presented himself and things he's said, I really don't like and don't sit well with me. Right. So I just want to acknowledge that before I go into this, that it's, it's really, it's really important to, you know, look at people and go, what are they contributing? What can we take from it? But to be honest, that there are some things that are not great. Exactly. Right. And that's, if you want to be a person that lives with integrity, if you want to co-host a podcast that is filled with integrity, then you have to acknowledge these things. Exactly. Right. So acknowledging it here. Right. Now, Tony Robbins did not come up with these. These have been in psychology teachings for a long time. There's just different words used and like a little bit of different variation depending on which sort of school of thought or which quote unquote father of psychology you're using. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So a lot of my like psychology friends would would be like, oh, I'm just going to apply Maslow's hierarchy of needs here. And it's all very, very similar. So if you, if you want to look into this and you're like, let me see the other versions, I highly encourage you to do that and use whichever one connects most to you. Right, exactly. This is the one that connects most with me. And even though I have complicated feelings about Tony Robbins. <laughs> right. I, as a person whose intuition naturally works to solve people's puzzle as to why they're behaving the way they are, that's my whole entire design. <laughs> Jamie can vouch for that. That's true. <laughs> um, the This way, his way, works the best for me. Right. But it might not be true for you. So that's why we're choosing to present this, this stuff. Exactly. Okay. So I thought I would tell you the desires and the fears. And then we would break down, we go into the desires, I'll break them down a little bit and then go into the fears and break them down, but let you know what they are right away. Because sometimes just hearing them will spark a little something. Agreed. Exactly. Especially with stuff like this. Yes. Okay. So the universal human desires, I would like to say again, before I read them to you, you experience all of these. Every human being experiences all six of these desires. Right. And you have two that most likely drive your behavior. Right. And they it has more of an influence over you than the other ones. So when you're listening, that's what you're going to try to pick up on. Okay. So the human desires are love and connection, 
that's one love and connection because connection is the same thing as love, but we live in a society that feels uncomfortable with that. So we have to use two words. Exactly. Okay. Um, significance. Yep. Certainty. Mm-hmm. Variety. Yep. Growth. Okay. And contribution. Yes. Okay. Those are the six for you listener and for everyone, you know, in love, those six things are driving their behavior. And if you understand that about them, you can better motivate them to do the things that either you want them to do or they want to do and to feel happier. You can use language that supports that better and you can understand them so much better. Right. These are feelings that humans naturally seek out. Yes. Now, if you know this about yourself, right? the beautiful thing, first of all, it's always fun to identify what category you fit in. That's like a, a human, we're like wired to like that as human beings. Right. <laughs> but if you understand this, I don't think that I can explain how helpful it is. Like, I think no matter what I say, I'm going to undersell it. Agreed. And I think that the more you think about it and work through it, and even if you have to go back and listen back to this part a couple times, it's really going to start becoming something that you're always looking at and looking for so that you can understand why you're feeling certain ways. Exactly. Exactly right. And you also will look backwards at your life and understand what happened with certain relationships and connections and why things bothered you more than others. And it's really healing, I think. I agree. Yeah. All right. So I'll explain all of those. Yep. What I'd like to say about desires are these are driving your behavior. Right. So these are what your intuition is seeking to meet for you emotionally. What do you think, or maybe you don't know this, but what causes you to have or to lean towards certain drives? Is it, are you just wired a certain way or do experiences happen that lead you to need a certain feeling like a trauma response or is it both? I think it's the answer that's probably the least satisfying, which is that it's both. Yeah, I think so too. I think that you are sort of born wired a certain way and you have a certain personality. And I think I honestly think your astrological signs and when you're born have a big influence over you. Mm -hmm. I also think that things are influenced by your environment growing up and the trauma you go through. Right. And I think, you know, we'll get into this too, but there are things that will happen in your life that will cause you to have this one category of your life where you're not using one of your main two be like you're not being driven by the same things and it, it'll feel funky and weird. So all of it is helpful. Like you can't do this right or wrong. It can also change throughout your life based on what you're going through and the work you've done on yourself. So it, there's nothing about it that I think is like you're, it's like steadfast, you're born with that. It doesn't change. I don't think that. But I do think that there are personality traits and elements that are kind of unchangeable that influence this heavily. Yeah, I agree. I think that there are some that I'm like, I, I I can't explain them. It's just something where I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just like that feeling that feels important to me. Mm -hmm. and then there are other ones that I can look back and say, oh, it's because of this thing that happened in my childhood. I now have to have this in my life. 
Exactly. And I think that everyone is a combination of both. And I I know that it isn't purely like if we're saying nature versus nurture, that it isn't purely nurture because in the work that I used to do when I would do one-on-one sessions or group coaching sessions or workshops, there would be thousands upon thousands of people that I would do this work with. And people would go through the same thing or be raised in the same environment and have different things that drive them and different fears. So it's not one or the other. I definitely think that it's both. And I think that as you heal and grow as a person, certain things will shift and certain things will stay fixed. Agreed. I agree with that. Yeah. I I wish there was like a, a flashier answer. Like it's it's because you were born under a new moon and this or whatever. <laughs> like, right. exactly. I will, it would be helpful, but I don't think it's that simple. No, but I, but I do think, and I know you want to get to explaining them, so I'll, I'll wrap it up. But I do think that if you are someone who, I mean, I think we all are. If you're someone who's gone through trauma, I think it's actually comforting when you start to look at things like this and you realize that you're not the victim or you don't have to be the victim of the things that happen to you. Like this helps you put them in perspective and put them in a certain light. And then you can use that information to be more sort of intentional and purposeful. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And I, I could not agree with that more Yeah, because we do this thing in our culture where we're like, just heal, just be better. Right. Just get over it. Just go from where you are to water, please, for my own comfort, please just get there. What do I need to do to get there? Right. That process feels so terrible when you're the person going through it and you feel that pressure, even if it's just like socially, like in general, right. right? Right. When you can take a minute and sort of personalize it like this and understand yourself and your own needs better, it is a game changer. And it, it also helps you stop comparing yourself to other people because yes. you might be like, why can that person over there, let's, let's just say her name is Susan, right? Why is Susan, why does she just nail it? Like she comes to school, pick up, she has her outfit together. She's got her same like fancy shake ready. She's, you know, always, you know, half an hour early for everything. Like how come I can't do that? And you know what? Susan probably is a certainty person. And if you're a variety person and you're trying to mimic that, right, then you're going to end up feeling really frustrated because you're never going to get there because that being like Susan won't serve you. Your best self won't come out that way. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And you can also use sort of the other side of that coin and feel like if you're really frustrated with people and be like, why is Susan always doing this? This is so annoying. I, I can, this is easy for me. Why can't she do that? Oh, yes, exactly right. And, by different things. Exactly. So if you if you have children, if you have um, a, a spouse or somebody, uh, some sort of partner or coworkers or anything like that, right. you feel that way, right? You're like, why can't you just? <laughs> but if, yes, right. but if you understood what drove them and that it's different than what drives you, then you will, that frustration will melt away. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I'm going to tell you what the three universal fears are, and then we're going to go and we're going to talk about each of the desires and then we'll go and break down the fears after that. Okay. Okay. The three universal fears are abandonment, rejection, and fraud. And so fraud is like being seen as a fraud. Right. 
Okay. Where the desires drive your behavior, I feel like the fears steer your behavior. Wow. That's a great way to say it, actually. (laughs) (laughs) had a moment. Sorry, everybody. I just had a moment thinking about that. (laughs) I wish I had recorded your face because it was entertaining to watch. Um, Yeah. I I think if you understand, because people will say to me like, well, does, is it my fear making me do this or my is it my intuition or my desire making me do this? And everything that you ever do is sparked by something your intuition has brought to your attention. But right. the way you do it or how you get there or the path you take or whether you do it or not do it, like how that process is, is being steered by your ego, which is your fear. So if you can see that, I think it helps. I really do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about desires first, because I think that, I think that they're both kind of boggling people's minds when they get to them, but I feel like the desires are easier to stomach where when I talk about the fears, I'm probably going to trigger everybody listening. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Let's start and work our way up. Okay. All right. So let's start with love and connection first. Okay. It's pretty obvious, but this one, this desire is to really feel connected to people and feel loved and like, not just like adored, but like seen for who you are. Do you know what I mean by that? Yep. You want other people to feel loved and you want to feel loved and you want to feel connection to people. So this is, this is one of mine. I would say this is probably, I battle between which one is one and two and everybody will. That's normal because once you identify them in yourself, you see them everywhere and you're like, I don't know which one I'm being driven by right now. Right. (laughs) But I think that this is probably my strongest one. And it comes from being a really empathic person and feeling almost discomfort in my bones when I can't form a connection to somebody. Yes. Right. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. It feels odd. It feels wrong. And I think when you're empathic and you naturally sort of pick up on why people behave the way that they behave, this one is a big one for you. Right. Exactly. So love and connection people, they don't just want to have casual acquaintances. They want to really be connected. They want to know people. They want to share with people their stories. They want to hear somebody else. They are the ones that in a crowd, if somebody is speaking and interrupting another person, they either have to leave the room because they can't stand it or they're standing up for the person. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, I'm that big time. Yes. So both Jamie and I have this for our top two. I'll tell you, well, we might as well say what ours are. So I am love and connection and contribution. Jay, what are you? What are your two? Uh, love and connection and variety. Mm-hmm. So as we go through this and as as you listen to this, think back in the way that Jamie and I speak and how we present stuff and what we what we both give to this podcast. Like Think of all of that right. and you'll hear it now. Do you know what I right. mean? And also give some, let's let this sink in a little bit because I never would have chosen variety to be (laughs) my top two or three. And it really, truly is. It is. Variety is a sneaky one. So we'll talk about that one in a second, but I'm telling you, 
just you might now you might be having a little light bulb moment listening to us but when you understand this about the people you care about it is such a game changer right and so what are your say say it again heather mine are love and connection and variety and yours are love and connection and contribution all right so now we can listen for it okay all right <laughs> okay so let's move on to significance yes this is the need to feel important to people and that you play an important role in whatever you're doing. Yeah. This is a big player for me. This one gets a bad rap. Yeah, I agree. But it's a great one. In my opinion, these are the, this one in contribution, I think are the most similar. And I actually think a lot of people evolve from significance to contribution when they're doing a lot of work on themselves. Now that's not to say if you stay significance that you're an unevolved version. Some people, that's what we need from them. So we want them to be that. But these two are, I think the only two that I find to be really close to each other. Uh I think that they make good community members. Yes. These, the people who significance is important to them. It sounds like they just feel like they, they need to be important all the time, but I want to stress that they need to feel like they're making like some sort of important contribution. There's that word to whatever's happening. And even in, in, even in like a friendship, they want to feel like you're, you're texting them about your stuff. Like they're the people you would go to because that sense of significance makes them feel safe and loved. Right. It's a point of validation for a lot of people, I think. Yes. So a lot of people that are high achievers, significance is a big driver for them. And so feeling important in a room, in a role, in a relationship, in friendships, even just like as you walk into a coffee shop, we might as well use that example. And, you know, some people are driven to compliment people there for love and connection. And some are for significance because they just want to play an important role in that person's day. Right. And I think it's, I think you can also note where there are certain either groupings of people in your life or certain places like physical places in your life where you need one of these more than the other, like inside of a family unit, you might be really striving for one, but at work, you might be looking for another. Absolutely. And that's, that's super common with this stuff and really good to notice in your life. Like just because you're too, let's say love and connection and significance are your two main drivers. Right. And, but in work, for some reason, you, you seem to be way more driven by growth. Like that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You just want to note it and you want to look at like, why might that be? Why is there like a a place where this is a little bit different? And in most cases, it's fine and you should just understand it. But in some cases, it's actually kind of out of alignment with how you best operate. Right. Exactly. So it's important to look at. Yeah. All right. Um, Next we have certainty. Yep. So certainty is not in my top two, but I have to say it's definitely my number three. And it's definitely the thing that like, if life gets hard or I get overwhelmed, this is the one I, I reach for. Right. Agreed. Same. So it might not be my normal everyday thing that drives what I do, but if I start to feel unsafe or insecure or anything, I am going to reach for certainty to help me out. 
Right. And that also is like how you said at the beginning, how sometimes like an astrological sign can play into that. That's like my double cancer. If I need to feel better or safer or more balanced, that double cancer energy is going to call in that I need certainty. Exactly. When it comes to money and how you view money in abundance, most people have either certainty or variety as their main driver here. So if you are someone who certainty or variety is in your top two, whichever one that is, is most likely the driver for money. If it's not outside of the need for love and connection or contribution for me, when I feel insecure about money, I'm going to reach for certainty. And a lot of people have been modeled that. So remember before when you were saying like, is it nature or nurture? A lot of times I think we form these based on nurture, based on what we're shown as children. Right. Even societally, I think we're taught a lot of things about money on a societal level, level on a capitalistic level that we think we automatically beeline for certainty. Exactly right. So people who have certainty as one of their main drivers really, really thrive in routine, in doing the same thing all the time. Um, in, and that's the sort of stuff that they, that's how they present themselves, right? Like we're going to get into how you identify in other people, but people want to present themselves the way that they desire to be. Right. So their main desires are the way that they present themselves. So if somebody like opens a conversation with you with how they've worked at the same company for 20 years and have lived in the same house for 20 years and have driven the same car for 20 years, Jamie's making a face because she's a variety person. So that sounds like a nightmare to her, but (laughs) which I've had to grapple with because I've been taught that that's the life you're supposed to live. Exactly. Exactly. Because we thought we're all supposed to be the same, right? Right. So certainty, those people actually thrive in that and that's what they look for. And that makes them feel safe. They desire that feeling of certainty. So that's the Susan with like her, her smoothie done and she's always ready and she's always early and she's always this and she's always that. And she's perfectly to a routine and she always works out at 4am. Like that is certainty. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. People no. who who certainty is a main driver get labeled as type A incorrectly a lot. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really mm-hmm. good point. Yes. Type A in and certainty are very similar and a lot of people who value certainty are type A, but there's a lot of type A people and I would put you in this category Jamie who are variety people. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Okay. Next because we're human and we want certainty, but we also want variety. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Cause we're complicated. We want it all. We want it all. We really do. And no shame in that game. Nope. So variety people like Jamie really have a strong need for things to be different for things to change. They actually work really well in change in the idea of having to do something that looks the same for any period of time is literally kind of like they would probably be rather, rather you stab them in the eyeball. I think it's to the point where <laughs> thinking about doing something every day for 30 years, like if we're talking about a job and working at the same place 
every day for 35 years, which we are literally sold that. Like that is what we are taught to believe as a nation Mm -hmm. that you're supposed to have one job and you're supposed to do it for 30 to 40 years and you're supposed to never leave it. You're supposed to be in the same building. (laughs) To me, that actually, it actually at this point in my life triggers like sort of claustrophobic feelings. Yes, that that's a, a perfect analogy is that feeling of claustrophobia. That is so true. And so many people think about, let's just think about kids in school. Right. Schools are set up based on certainty. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. schedules, right. Certainty people thrive in school settings. Now, it's not to mean that variety people don't. Like, Jamie, you did well in school. It's It doesn't mean that you don't do well. But they are the kids who they do not thrive emotionally in that environment. Exactly. Like teaching to kids who, and you're teaching to them all like their certainty and there's kids in there that are variety is not going to work, right? Like understanding and knowing this, like my two kids, I have a certainty and a variety kid, right? right. Like and the way that they learn and the way that I speak to them about even going to school or how their day is going to be is, is different. Exactly. People who, you know, work for us. I'm always trying to pick up, like, imagine, imagine you're a variety person and I'm coming in as someone who probably values certainty a little bit more than I value variety. And I'm telling you all of these things to make you feel better because I am assuming you're a certainty person. And what I'm really doing is scaring you. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Making me want to run in the other direction. Yes. And it's, it's as simple as presenting the information differently. It's, right. It really is that simple. Like when it comes to the podcast, just to, so you guys know me again, I think certainty is my number three. I'm like, let's do this on this day. Let's have this format. Let's do this, you know, like a month of this theme or something. And, and I would never present it to Jamie that way. I would completely change my language because we're both, we both want the same thing, but I know that's not going to appeal to her. If I say, Hey, every Wednesday for the rest of your life at this time, I want you to go to this spot and talk about this thing. I am not going to motivate Jamie. She's going to be like, I love you. Love and connection is one of, is my other one. So I'll do it because I care about you, but you're, you're literally insulting my soul. Right. Well, because then I'm thinking like, well, what if I have something else to do that day? Or what if, what if I have an appointment that day? Or what if I can't make it? What if one of my kids are sick? And what if, so then I have to bail on you or I have to reschedule. No, I want the flexibility to be able to do it when it works for both of us. Exactly. So it's just in the way that you present stuff. And and just so everyone knows, I'm not just manipulating Jamie. She manipulates me back because we know these things about each other and it's fine. <laughs> She's going to present things to me more in the way of um, certainty. She's going to present things to me more in like how it will contribute to other people. If you use that language for me, I will do almost anything that you ask of me. And it isn't just to get what you need out of people. It's also to make them feel happy when they do the thing. I just did that to you yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. As someone who knows this and detects that when people are doing it, I feel very loved when people do that to me because it's like, you know me enough to want to present it to me in a way that feels good to me. That feels like I feel very seen and heard. (laughs) Absolutely. That's what intuitive people do. 
Exactly. So think of variety as like getting excited because you have a bonus check in the mail. Like that's, that's what variety is. But like most people don't apply variety to like, am I going to have enough money to get by? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? So people apply in different ways. And when it comes to money, we aren't really shown a great model for variety. But I think that people who have variety as one of their top two drivers are the best manifestors of money out there. Right. Jamie is definitely that in my opinion. So there you go. (laughs) But they're, they're the people that are like, uh, people who like certainty are in their top two and people who variety in their top two. First of all, a lot of times they marry each other, but just saying, but Good point. they look at each other with pure confusion and sometimes a little bit of envy because you can, you can also feel trapped in your, in your desire. Does that make right. sense? Yes. If yep. you are a certainty person and you live in the same house your whole life and you've worked the same job and you see a variety person come in and they're like, Oh, I did that last month and this one, and I lived in these 25 different places. And like, there's a little bit of like, oh, that I could never do that, but I see how that looks nice and it really serves you. And I can't understand it, but there's something free. You seem freer than I do. And they both feel it about each other. Does that make sense? Exactly. Right. Yes. Okay. Next one is growth. Okay. These are the people who go to school for 1 million years. Yes, exactly. That's the easiest description. <laughs> right. People who have like master's and bachelor are bachelor degree, like a bunch of them are most likely driven by growth because what their intuition is constantly leading them to is to be a different person than they were yesterday. Right. And to keep leveling up. Yes. So this is much more on the variety spectrum than on the certainty spectrum because they are always in need of being different in a way. Right. Exactly. So the, these are also people who are constantly learning a new modality. I see that in our, our circles often. Yep. Um, They're, they're usually avid readers. They like to read and learn and that's what those people are. And they are the people who you want to teach you things in my opinion. Yeah. I identify with that a lot. Mm, I, I very much like it. I I don't think it's in my top, you know, I I think that I'm a junkie for information. And so I like growth, but I am far more interested in like, in contributing than I am in like personally growing. So I would use growth to like be able to contribute better. (laughs) Right. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one is contribution. Yeah. Which you guys know is mine. Um, Where I think love and connection is more of a driver to me on like a day-to-day functional basis. I would say contribution is more of a overall life setup driver. Yes. Like the big existential things I think for me are driven mostly by contribution. Yeah, I agree. That's a big one for you. I feel that one a lot too. So yes, I think, I think this would, I would put this as maybe your third. Yeah, I think so too. So People who are driven by the need to contribute to other people are always going like the way that I'm showing up in the world, am I making things better? And it sounds really noble and it sounds really beautiful. As a person who lives in that, it is also complete and utter torture all the time. Yes. Agreed. It is. It can be. 
of all of these, the people who deal with, I think, the most empath difficulty, I would say, are most likely people who are very driven by contribution because it's like it's like this thing that looms over me all the time where it, it makes me a person that I think other people like to be around. So that's nice. But it also makes me feel bad if I leave a space of any kind, even if it's strangers, and I don't feel like I made anything better. Interesting. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's a big burden to carry. It's a strange responsibility that no one has actually given you, but you feel the need to do all the time. Well, because it also influences how you feel. It's not, you're not just trying to influence everybody else, which you are, but also impacts how you feel internally. Yes. Remember these things are driving your behavior and they're how you want to feel. But remember also that if you don't feel them, you don't feel safe. Correct. So it isn't just like, I want everyone to see me contribute, or I want everyone to feel like I'm important, or I want to feel connected to everybody. You literally don't feel safe if if these desires aren't getting met. Right. And I think that that's hard to do if, if you're not in a group or a setting where it's safe to contribute. Exactly. You know I mean, like if it's like a family dynamic where maybe things aren't super copacetic, but you feel like you have to contribute. You And that's not because you want to be like the teacher's pet or like the, the suck up, but because that's literally how you feel safe in a dynamic. Yeah. And I think if you understand that about other people too, so when you can't understand why Susan doesn't keep, you know, or Susan's constantly like needing more certainty in her life and you just think she's trying to change you, what she's doing is saying like, this is what I need to feel safe and to operate at my best. And if you can hear that, right, it really makes a difference in how you treat other people and what you get from them. Right. Agreed. If you are a contribution person and somebody wants to crush your soul, they can say something to you along the lines of like, I I think that your presence here is actually having a negative impact because that is one of their greatest fears. Oh no, that would kill me if someone said that. Right. That's like crippling for us. Yes, exactly. Okay. I want to reiterate why it's really helpful to know. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So if you can identify your top two here, and this might take a little thinking about, I encourage you to go back um, and listen to the descriptions of each and take some notes. And then as you're going out into the world, notice what is driving you. You'll feel it once you're aware of it. I really do... I think you don't even have to be a super feelingsy, empathy person. I think you'll catch it. I agree. So think about how you want other people to see you. Like I, I don't want other people to see me as, as a variety person, but Jamie wants other people to see her that way, right? Like this, this will help you. I want people to feel connected to me. So that means I want to feel connected to them. So that means that's one of mine. Do you know what I mean? Like, look at that. How does that look? Just as an example, how does, how do I look to other people? How do people see variety in me? Because the the only thing that really comes to mind is that people know 
that they can count on me on the fly. Yes. Variety people are the best for that. So like you, you, you're having some sort of emergency and you're thinking like, who do I call who can jump out of their life in their day, in their routine and just on the fly crush this? A variety person is the first person who's going to pop into your head, whether you know that. Yeah, that's, that's me. I think that that's what people see in me. Yes, because variety people aren't burdened by changing their day. Right. No, and and I'm happy actually to do that. Yeah. And of course they're burdened in the sense of like, now they have to rearrange things or who's going to pick up their kids or something. Yes. But there isn't an emotional burden. They actually feel valued if you ask them to do something like that. And they actually feel like, oh, I got this. Watch me maneuver my day to help you. Yes, that's absolutely accurate. (laughs) Where a certainty person is the person who you would be like, you know what? I need someone to pick up my kid every Monday. I'm going to call a certainty person to do that because they're going to be able to put that right into their schedule. No problem. Right. A variety person would probably do that for you, but they're not going to be the best at it. And they also feel burdened by it. Or they feel like trapped by it. Exactly. So if, so it's, it depends on what it is. If if it's like a, oh my gosh, what do I do? I need someone who can pivot on a dime and thrive. A variety person is the one you want to call. Yep. Makes so much sense. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey y'all, it's Jamie with a little shameless self-promotion. We've had a lot of people reaching out asking about distal Reiki. So I wanted to let you all know that, yes, you can book a session with me. If you'd like some distance Reiki, get in touch with me and we will set it up for you. You know what goes great with podcast listening? A great cup of coffee from a great coffee shop. Yep. Beans roasted in-house, amazing baristas, You know where I'm talking about. Restoration coffee. Can we go? Yes, I need an Americano and maybe a panini too. Ooh, I need blueberry maple latte and probably a resto bowl. Yeah, check them out and visit restoration-coffee.com. Let's talk about what we're obsessed with this week. All right, Heather, we're here and we are obsessed. And this week it's sort of this, it's not a TikTok related. Amazingly. First time it's not TikTok related, but it's this whole like back to school thing. And this, and also if you don't have kids, it's the seasonal change where we're noticing the change of seasons and, and everyone's like really on the spooky season kick. Mm-hmm. Which I love. Obviously, I'm here for that. But mm. it's like that transition that we witches and and all you know all this pagan stuff that we always talk about. We are right on the cusp of one of those changes. Yes, I always feel like September feels like the beginning of a new year to me, much more than January. Yes, agreed. January is smack the middle of winter. And <sighs> yeah, yeah, and this feels like actual new starts in September. Yeah, like the weather very obviously changes and then kids are going back to school and um 
I know you and I have been talking a lot about how we start, we've been really, I mean, I think we've been talking about this for a long time, but we've been noticing these sort of generational changes about like how all these different generations really parent very differently. Yes. Now, this is what I said, and I would like to tell my mom who's listening for sure, she's going to agree with this statement and that this is in no way me judging our parents. No, it was just a different time. The way we were parented when it came to emotions, Uh the way we parent our children when it comes to emotions are so wildly different Yep. And I constantly feel like I'm parenting in this way that I have no experience in personally. Right. Exactly. And the, the it's such a, over the decades, it's become such a wide gap in how yes. we were parented, but how our parents were parented, to how we're parenting now. And actually, I am going to bring TikTok into it. <laughs> of course. I knew there'd be a way. <laughs> But you see all these TikToks of like really breaking down and analyzing the different generations. And I actually find them to be like really interesting and actually sort of very comforting about learning why people act in certain ways. Agreed. Same as why you want to understand the desires and fears in people. Understanding right. the generations it helps you too. But I think that, well, for me anyways, my kids have trouble with transitions, which tracks because I I actually like change. I actually do well in chaos, but I, I have more trouble leading up to it because I overly obsess about how to control the change. Right. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that my kids, and I think kids in general transition is hard, but I think certain kids, I'm going to say empathic kids have more trouble. Agreed. So I'm spending all this time trying to like navigate for them and, and be like the quote unquote, like do it like the right way emotionally where I don't stunt them or make them feel repressed at all. And we grew up in the eighties and nineties and both of us were raised by fantastic humans. We, we hit the parent lottery. You had the best dad ever. I have the best mom and dad ever. We were, and of all the people I know, I think the most emotionally supported was probably, but still there was not a lot of conversation about these things. There wasn't a lot of knowledge and even the difference between how my parents were parented this way to me, like is so vastly different for them too. But I, there was never times where it was like, how do we walk you through this emotionally in a safe way? It was much more like, um, one of my mom's favorite saying, she still says it all the time is put your big girl panties on and deal with it. Like, so, and I think there's value in that, to be honest. Yes, Agreed. When you go to then be a parent where you're like, let's talk about your feelings and gently walk you through this. It's, it's freaking hard and weird. I don't know. Am I doing it too much? Am I not doing it enough? Should, am I caring too much? My patience for it is very low, Jamie. So I'm like, what's wrong with me? Right. Well, but I think, but when you make that comparison, like you did, that's why there's no shade to the people of our parents' generation because they were so drastically different from their parents. I feel, feel like our parents were doing a lot more than their parents did for them. They were probably high-fiving each other. Like, look at all we're doing for our kids. And then it just has in, and I think you, I think the reason why this is coming up and why we're correlating it to back to school is that like, for instance, your your kids, right? Like one of your children 
started at a new school and there was an orientation day and I see it all over social media. Like here's little Joey. He's at his orientation day for high school. And I, and I'm like, I'm like kind of salty about it. Like don't give me a freaking orientation day. I just got on the bus and had to walk in and be like, uh, okay, I guess I'll figure it out. Which yes, you know, to your point, you know, that's sort of what makes you, that's like that sterner stuff. You learn how to figure shit out when you don't have a choice. But I also remember that feeling of being like, oh my God, I'm going to vomit. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, did I persevere? Yes. Was it the most like emotionally, you know, uh, helpful situation? Not at all. (laughs) It's like you learn this real dependence on yourself that, I don't think our kids are going to learn in the same way. And I'm constantly looking at that because there, there is value in that, but there's also trauma in that. (laughs) Well, right. Because then you're so dependent on yourself that you can't even accept help. Like, look at, look at us. Like we struggle with accepting help from people because of that. Yes. And, and, And even as an example, because I, my mother and I laugh about this often I don't know about you, Jamie, but I wasn't even allowed to be hurt or sick. Oh, yeah. It was like such a pain in the ass if I was sick. Yes. And it was always like, shake it off. You're fine. And not because our parents didn't care about us, because they literally thought that was the best way to deal with it. Right. Exactly. But now it drives my mother bonkers when she's like, why don't you tell me you hurt yourself or you were sick? Or why don't you ask me for help with that? Because you're trying to do that wall not okay. And it's like, well, because I was taught not to do that. So right, exactly. It's this funny thing. But then when my kids are are doing that, my instinct that natural thing inside my body is to do the same thing to them. And I have to sort of like find the middle. Does that make sense? Exactly. Because everything tells you that you're supposed to just like be more coddling and like walk them along. And I agree with that too. So it's like, you're constantly trying to find the middle and you have no freaking idea what you're doing. That's how I feel all the time. (laughs) Exactly. I think it's, I think we're always learning. And I think that your mom, what's up, Lynnet, by the way, thanks for listening. (laughs) I think she's also been growing with all of us. Like it, you know, she also is now more emotionally intelligent than she was then. Just like we are also the same, you know, when we're grandparents, our kids will be saying this to us in some version. It's, it's a cycle forever and ever, but I feel like when there's transitions and when there's like back to school and things are like a little harder, you just see it so much more. And you feel like you're constantly trying to do something based on something that you, you only know, like informationally and you don't have in your bones. (laughs) Right. It's something exactly because you didn't experience it, but it's something that you want to be better, but you've never actually done it. You've never Mm -hmm. executed it. So it's like it's you're constantly just learning as you go. Exactly. Exactly. And I will I will also say, like, if you look at the indigo crystals and rainbows, you can go back and listen to that episode. We did the energy archetypes and the generations of them. I think that most likely people like us indigos were better parented the way we were and people like we're raising crystals and rainbows are better parented the way they are. So it isn't that anyone's doing it wrong. It's that what you had for a parent and what you are as a parent are most likely very different. And it's probably what best served those times. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 
Agreed. It's fascinating. And that's what Jamie and I have been talking a lot about. Yep. That's what we're obsessed with. Let me recap that like knowing and understanding these about yourself and other people will help you. I'm trying not to word it in a way that is just my desires. Cause that this is the thing guys, like we word everything and we describe everything to other people in the way we want to hear it. That's how sort of embedded it is into our psyche and our subconscious. Yes. Cause we only see the, the world through our own lens. We can't right. actually see it through other people. It doesn't matter how empathic you are. You can right. feel things, but you can't actually operate in the world the way anyone else does ever. Right. That makes me sometimes lay in the fetal position to think about that. Like no one will ever see the world the way I see it ever. I know I've had those moments too. And I, and I also have had it in the reverse. Like I feel like I can understand someone so well. And the fact that I actually can't ever fully understand someone makes me want to vomit. Same. I, I try not to spend a lot of time thinking about it. Right. right. <laughs> okay. So this is incredibly helpful for you to understand how you operate and how other people operate. So let's go into kind of what Jamie was asking about, like, how do you detect it in other people? So in yourself, it's kind of like, know what they are and watch. There's probably at least one of the ones I said to you that you know is yours just by hearing it. And the other ones you can kind of play with and look. Okay. But when it comes to other people, it's so true what we just said that like, they are going to present themselves and speak about the world in the way that they see it. And they are going to tell you without telling you very quickly what their desires and fears are. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give you just like a a couple little examples of things people could say that would reveal their desire to you and how I pick it up pretty quickly. Okay. All right. So my favorite thing to ask people is, (laughs) Hey, how are you today? is the start. Now, listen, if you're like me and you hate small talk, use this as a, as something to think about rather than the answer. And I will say I'm very guilty of not actually knowing what people said because I was just trying to solve the puzzle behind what they said. Right. I was just going to say that we're all getting a little purview into like the Sherlock Holmes <laughs> archetype of Heather right now. <laughs> so if I say, Hey, how are you today? And then you are, you talk for a few minutes and then you go, how, what was the thing I said, how I was, I probably don't know, but I do know what drives you in the world and what you're most afraid of. So it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's that I'm more interested in this stuff behind the scenes than the thing at the front. Right. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) I think, I think that's true. At least that's how I'm trying to paint myself to you right now. No, you're, you're, you're just filtering through the bullshit. You're getting through to the real answer. Yeah. If I'm ever asking you a small talk question, I am tricking you for sure. Exactly. Right. Yeah. But in a caring way. (laughs) I'd rather be tricked by you with that than have someone actually really genuinely just be asking me that and not be able to converse beyond that. You know what I mean? Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. So how are you? Say you've just met somebody, we'll use it as an example, but you don't have to, it doesn't have to be the first interaction. It's this is just when I'm the most interested in this, right? right? Okay. How are you? The way somebody answers that question is going to give you a ton of information. Okay. Okay. Now let's just say, for example, somebody just goes, I'm good. How are you? Yep. You can tell just by that, that most likely love and connection is not their number one. Oh, really? 
It's dismissive. I'm good. How are you? And they just move on. Okay. If you say, how are you to a love and connection person, they are going to mastermind their answer to actually find out how you are. I was just going to say, because I would, I would minimize my response and then send it back. Yes. But you wouldn't just be like, good. How are you? I mean, you might at first, but there's more clues, but I'm just saying like most likely someone who's kind of just doing the basic answer is not a love and connection person. Right. Just saying. I can also tell their fear, which we'll get to based on this <laughs> one. But okay. So let's say it's just like, good, how are you? That to me, I'm going interesting. They don't want a question about their feelings. People who love love mm-hmm. want to know all about your feelings. Right. Okay. And they want to tell you about theirs. So for example, as a love and connection person, if you ask me how I am, I'm gonna be like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually having a really great day or I'm actually really good. I love it when it's sunny out. I'm going to find a detail to add in to what you've asked me to show you that I'm interested in a conversation with you. Interesting. This is interesting. This is so ridiculous because I will even do this when I am completely uninterested in a conversation with you because (laughs) I have to, like, it's a drive, right? Makes sense. Okay. You have to connect. Yes. So you'll hear that. And people who value love and connection most want to get you talking. So they're going to give you just enough so that you feel like, oh, they want to talk to me to get you to start talking. And they are masterminds at changing the spotlight from them to you because it's just more comfortable for most empathic people anyways. But that's where they feel like they'll learn information they can connect to. Gotcha. Okay. So if they, if they start doing this thing where they're like, oh, I'm good, but like work has been so busy. Mm-hmm. Guess which one is theirs. They just told you. Oh no. I don't know. <laughs> what is it? Significance. Oh. They just are telling you how busy they are. And people who talk right. about being really busy want you to see them as important. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. If somebody is variety is their main. So Jamie, this is number two for you. So I don't think it would come out right out of the gate, but it would, it would probably be somewhere in the conversation. It would just be a little bit more subtle, but if someone is variety, they're going to say something like, Oh, this day is interesting. And they're going to be very specific about the things in this day rather than the things in every day. A certainty person is going to talk to you more about the week or the month. That actually tracks for me. Okay. So you're going to see it just by that question. And I could go into each one, but listen, you know, if somebody is talking about, um, oh, it's really good. You know, I was just listening to um, the Intuitive Girls Guide podcast and I just learned this. Can I tell you about it? Like they probably are growth. And then if they want to tell you about it, so you learn, they're probably contribution, right? Like they're always looking for that. So you can hear it in that response often. Okay. I love that. The next question I go to to clarify or to prove or disprove my theory based on the way that you answered that question is typically about their job or their work. Okay. Now, I'm for only the purposes of this question, including if you are a full-time mom. Okay. All right. I, I'm not I'm not getting into the whole thing if that's a job or not. Like only love to anyone who deals with being a mother. For the purposes of this, I view this as part of that question. Yes. Okay. So I'll say, oh, what, so what do you do for work? And they'll, they'll usually tell me. And then I'll say, 
oh, like, what's that like? How is that? And then based on what I think their thing is, I might personalize that question a little bit more. Like if I think it's significance, I'm going to ask them about how busy they are. If I think it's contribution, I'm going to ask the question that would allow them to speak about how they, they help people. But you can just be general. You can be like, oh, that's interesting. What's that like? So say someone's like, oh, I'm a lawyer. Oh, that's really interesting. What is that like? What What's like the day-to-day like being a lawyer? And then their answer will 100% on a silver platter lay out to you their human desires. This is so incredible, Heather, to listen to this and to listen to you doing it. Your mind, you seriously have that Sherlock mind. Your mind is working so fast in this conversation. I think it comes honestly from feeling like I as a child that I didn't understand humans because I didn't feel like one to be right, honest. Exactly. Right. So when you, and you'll, once you, I explain the fears to you, you'll be like, oh, that rings really true for your right. main fear, Heather. So I think when you feel this like outsiderness, mm-hmm. you, your brain is ahead of yourself trying to understand people because you don't think that you just naturally do. Does that make sense? Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. I will accept that I am really good at it. I'm not trying to like defer it, but I'm also saying it comes from not being fully sure you are also a human and not really understanding why the human race operates the way it does. Right. And trying to just sort of assess and manage your surroundings as a child. Exactly. Exactly right. So if somebody answers this question in a way that they're, they're, again, like I said before, where they're telling you, oh my God, it's great. You know, I've worked at this same law firm for this many years and I have practiced this kind of law for this many years. Anytime there's a time reference to it, anytime that they're telling you, I like it because my schedule works because I can get home to get the kids, any kind of language like that, you are talking to someone who is driven by the desire of certainty. Right. Yeah. If they're telling you, oh my gosh, it's great, but the my phone never stops ringing. Like I am literally on the phone all the time, a thousand emails a day. Like they are telling you how important they are to other right. people. So that's their main one. Right. Okay. If they talk about like, oh my gosh, I as a lawyer, my favorite thing is that I get to actually meet a, like five new people every day. And I get to like learn about them and understand their story. That is a love and connection person. Right. Okay. If they're like, oh my gosh, you know what? I, I'm so obsessed with making sure those kids that were put in cages at the border get, get brought back to their families. And I get up every day and I get up early and like, I just think about that and I get to do it every day. That is a contribution person. Right. right. And yep. go, I could go on. But when you just ask that simple question, somebody will tell you the answer right there. Heather, ask me what I do for work. <laughs> hey, Jane, what do you do for work? Um, well, I'm a podcast co-host. I'm an energy healer and I'm a portrait photographer. Yeah. So she just named three different things. <laughs> <laughs> um, that sounds really interesting, Jamie. Of all of those things, what what like what's your favorite part? Well, it's the fact that they all sort of interact together and I get to sort of bring the same energy to all of them, but in really different ways. 
I've actually said that out loud, Heather. <laughs> I know you have. I hear you speak to people. So see how you hear that variety is a value. And then you also heard that love and connection is a value because right. she also explained that she loves the different ways she can show up for people. Only love and connection people speak like that, right? That is so funny. Like once she just told you. Yeah, right. she just said, these are the ways that I am driven to do things. She just revealed that to you. And you got there in, in that instance, three questions. Right. In like less than 30 seconds. Yes. So do you remember back in the day? I think they're still done, but I hate them. So I never go to them. But there was like networking events. Do people still oh, do God. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, well, first of all, I hate them because for many reasons, I won't get into that. That's a weird side tangent. But I, what I will say <laughs> is that I would get stuck talking to like one or two people only because I would start falling down this rabbit hole and I would want to keep knowing more and I would want to oh. keep asking questions and then be very, very connected to the one or two people I got this information from. And so I wouldn't do a very good job because I wasn't really interested in getting anyone to, to like buy my stuff or whatever. I wanted to just figure out people. Right. You were forgetting the networking part of the networking. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just saying people who contribution and loving connection, we get lost in this because we would rather have a strong connection to one or two people than yep. to be like the life of a party. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. When let's talk about when things don't align. Okay. So there are, once you figure out your two, okay. And once you figure out two and other people, I don't know if this is true for other people, but I'll say if it's true for me and Jamie, you can say if normal humans feel this way. Okay. okay. When you understand like, oh, these two things drive me or these two things drive other people. These are their main ways that they behave. And then they have a behavior or you have a behavior that's outside of that. It's like an alarm is going off. It's like, wait, something's off. And I think that other people feel, and you feel it too, like, they can't quite smoothly get there. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I think that happens in real life too, but there is literally an alarm going off in my head when someone deviates from that sort of driven behavior. I think it's very obvious. Even if you're not even sure, you don't know any of this, you don't, this, this, you, you've never heard us speak of this before. I think the deviation from that is just obvious. You just might not know what it's, what's happening. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. There, everybody has these, everyone has these things where it just doesn't align where you're normally driven. So let's use Jamie, for example, she's normally driven by love and connection and variety. Right. And so if, if Jamie's going throughout her life and suddenly something is hard or something she can't get to, or is feeling really frustrated and she's dealing with the same issue over and over again, the very first thing I, as me, would look at is, is she not using love and connection and variety to address this? And is this why? That's a really good point. Okay. So this happened recently where we were talking. <laughs> yes, it did. And I was like, I said it in a way that I thought you knew. Do you remember this conversation? Yes. <laughs> okay. So let me set the scene for you. Jamie and I are talking about like manifesting and we are specifically talking about manifesting money and like financial security. And we're, we're talking about this and Jamie is presenting something about 
when she's talking about money and, and like pulling money in, right? Like we're working on like manifesting it in a certain way. And she's, she's telling me how she's frustrated about how it's going. And she's using a lot of should language, which is a red flag that someone's stuck in their ego, right? If someone's saying I should, or I should, or I should like, oh, you're shooting all over yourself. Your ego is talking to me. Right. Exactly. Okay. So what I said back to Jamie that I didn't think was actually going to be that big of a deal, but she was, she did that, like, give me a moment, please thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Was I was like, why are you trying to apply certainty to this part of your life when variety is something that you, you thrive for? Like you thrive in variety. You don't thrive in certainty. So why are you bringing certainty to money? And you, your reaction was, you were a little shooketh about it. Yeah. I was like, well, well, and I was like, well, why wouldn't I, it was, it didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that you could bring variety to money. And that's like what I was saying earlier is this, like when we live in a capitalistic society, you have these like really, really ingrained ideas about how you're supposed to get money. You're supposed to get one paycheck a week. You're supposed to get that same amount every single week for X amount of years. And maybe you'll get a raise. Exactly. So it's, it's this red flag. So this was out of alignment for Jamie, right? right. I think it's out of alignment. I think money in general is out of alignment for most everybody at this point. Right. Agreed. <laughs> but in this instance, it was out of alignment. And the thing that that says, why this is so important to notice is that it means that conditioning is present, that you are operating based on your conditioning, not your intuition. Right. Well, because then when you started talking about manifesting money through variety, it like triggered me. And I felt like, I felt like, well, that's not safe. I need to know what money's coming in when it's coming in. And that's obviously, if you've listened to me talk for the last 15 minutes, <laughs> that's completely, completely antithetical to how my self and my energy works. Exactly. So if you notice these things and, or you notice it in another person, or you notice in your, in yourself, what's going on is that this conditioning that's outside of you, you're trying to operate in a way that is not quote unquote, natural to you. It's not how you thrive. It's not how you work best. It's like, if you're a righty, it's like, you're trying to just like write this one chapter with your left hand for some reason. Right. I was trying to apply apply Susan's methods of manifesting money to my life when they don't work the same way. You're like the anti-Susan and that's never going to work for you. Right. And this is also why it like really drives me crazy when people sell like a program that's like, do this or eat like this or work out like this or whatever. And you'll have this outcome. That's not possible because that might work for people who, you know, are certainty or variety, like, but it's not going to work for everyone. So I'm always looking for things that are like, let me show you how to understand how you work when it comes to food or, or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. You even talked about that in the dream episode when, you know, you hear people say like, everyone has to wake up at 4am and meditate for an hour and then work out and then drink a green smoothie. But like, that's not how everyone's bodies work. That's not how everyone's circadian rhythm works. Like we're not all the same. Exactly right. So it's so important to notice and know this about yourself and notice where you deviate because it's going to tell you so much. Right. 
and understanding it in other people, it's basically magic with a K. It really and truly is. Like just the example of my kids, like I have a certainty priority child and a variety priority child. I bet a lot of people who have multiple children have that. Yep. (laughs) I present everything to them differently. And I, I'm obviously human. Last time I checked, I mean, the jury's still out, but I think I'm a human. And so I make mistakes and I present to my certainty child variety and to my variety child certainty a little too much. And I, I realize I went wrong and and do it differently. Exactly. I do the same thing. Yeah. So it's, it's, if you know it, it's like this giant life hack to like, how can I motivate somebody to be their best selves? How can I avoid making this person feel bad, but how can I also get the best out of them even just selfishly for myself? Right. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that, baby. No, that's just, we need to work on like the idea of manipulation and, and things like that, because it's, that's how we function with each other. That's how it's human interaction. Exactly. Exactly. You know, people are like, oh, it's manipulating people. And I'm I'm like, what do you think every human interaction is? (laughs) Exactly. Like every human interaction is manipulation. There is not one that isn't. So if you're thinking like, oh, this feels a little like skeevy. I mean, literally everything you're doing is to manipulate someone. So you can use it for good or you can use it for evil. Do what you do what you like. But if you can understand people better, it's right. only going to help the world, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think that it, we tell women a lot to not be manipulative because it makes us shut up and it keeps us really disconnected from our power. Yeah. And, you know, the best, the people who are the best at manipulating are the best leaders. Exactly. Right. So, there you go. Um, I would like to just wrap up the desires by giving yep. people one question that they can ask themselves to help them figure out which is their, which ones are their big ones. Okay. Okay. So when you look at all of these, which one or ones, if you didn't have them, would hurt your momentum in life the most? Perfect. Okay. Yep. So for me, if I didn't have the ability to connect with people and to feel loved and to love people, if I, like my worst, darkest days are when I give up on humanity, which happens at least once a week lately. (laughs) Well, lately, yeah, the world's on fire. So that's. That's common. Right. So, but I pull myself out and I find connection again. And like, I I know what to do. I'm not trying to sound dramatic, but the world is dramatic at the moment. But I know if that's not there, I'm going to have a lot of trouble overcoming anything. I know that if I had a fight with someone or I wasn't speaking to someone or something didn't go well until I smooth it out, I'm going to feel obsessed with the thought of it. Yes. Agreed. Okay. I also know that if I am in a situation and I don't feel like I'm contributing or I don't see how I contribute best, that I'm going to feel uncomfortable, unsafe, bad, and probably start to feel insecure, to be honest. Right. Agreed. So if you know that about yourself, it's incredibly helpful and important. So when you're asking like, what would stop my momentum the most? That's the answer. Like to me, if I didn't have certainty, if I didn't have variety or growth, um, I or significance, like I could overcome it. I want those things. I'll find them, but I could get by it. But I would be stopped momentum wise without the other two. Right. Yep. You feel like that tracks for you too? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. This is a ton of information. I think it would be best if we stopped here and we came back next week with part two and talked more about the fears in depth. What do you think? 
yes, like take this week, take what we've just discussed, assimilate it a little bit, absorb it, and then we'll come back and we'll keep going with it. Yes, absolutely. Take some deep breaths, drink some water, hydrate, and we'll come back next week and keep going. Yeah, I love it. Hey, everyone. Heather and I have an ask for you. If you love this episode or if you love the IGG, can you do us a favor? We need you to go onto whatever platform you listen on and download, subscribe, like, love, whatever it's asking you to do. Can you go do those things for us on the platforms that you listen on? It would mean so much to us. Thanks for listening to our episode. For a way to get in touch with us, please visit our website, intuitivegirlsguide.com. We love hearing your feedback on our episodes.